0: Come to Catholic stuff you should know, the J10 initiative.
1: Queridos hermanos y hermanas, bienvenidos a Catholic stuff you should know, bilingual edition. You still got the Spanish, man. Well, the reason why I have the Spanish is because something amazing happened today. This is Father Nathan Goble. This is Catholic stuff you should know, bilingual edition. <laughs> and uh, Father John. Less bilingual. Less then, bilingual. Less
0: bilingual. I was telling the guys the story today of how I learned the, the verb molestar uh-huh. in the uh, confessional because kids would come in and talk about everything's molesting, and I was like, uh, and then it was, oh, okay, it means something very different yes. in Spanish. So it just
1: means to bother. To bother, yeah. Yeah. So. yeah no me molestes. Right. Yeah, don't bother me. Exactly. Um, so today, uh, we buried a great, well, we didn't bury him. He's, he followed my instructions and he went the cheaper route and did the casket rental followed by the, uh, casket rental followed by the cremation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not necessarily the cheaper route. Cheaper route is to go to the crematorium and uh, get cremated in the same place where they cremate dogs. Oh, jeez. Morons. Anywho, um, so, uh, so I, I said, you know, you should, you should have the body for the funeral, and then if you want to be cremated later, that's fine. So he decided to do that, Owen. And then Owen had his whole family. He's got nine kids. Um, they got some wild men in that family, and uh, one of them uh, is uh, currently, uh, he bought a house in Belize. Okay. So I'm talking to him about, you know, Belize and I was like I was like, Oh he's like, Have you ever been down to Belize? And I was said I said no, the, the furthest south I've ever been is Merida. He's like Merida. Medida. He goes, That's crazy. That lady over there's from Mérida. Her name's Ivan, I think Ivonne Lopez or Yvonne Ortiz. She is the Jane Fonda of Mexico. Merida? Of oh. Mexico. She did all these workout tapes. No way. Yeah. Did you say Como te Quiero? About, I said, about exactly, <laughs> and she was like, oh my gosh, and then I told her about the cologne
0: the, and the cocoa. Sh- the real question, the most important question is, did you ask her, do you know
1: Luis Enriquez about the Casadas? I didn't, I couldn't, I, I, I didn't have the opportunity. Oh
0: my, man, well. I should have. Luis Enriquez about the Casadas was my mother's boyfriend right? in Merida. She and the Cats and Twins, this is circa 19... 19- this
1: 73? is on a this is on a bingo card in Catholic stuff lore. I mean, Catholics, you've told this story. Nineteen seventy three. So. Yeah, they're down there. They all get boyfriends named Luis, Luis,
0: and Luis, and Luis. Within because they didn't have enough money, right? Luis and <laughs> so I've been looking for him. Apparently, he works for NASA, so maybe he'll listen to the podcast Anywho, someday. So she was very happy, and
1: then she even knew tacos Arabe. Now she must have been shocked. Did you tell her about El Calon. Oh yeah, she knew all about that, and I was and I was like yeah. And then she goes. My husband loves the coconut ice cream. I said, "Well, that was Father John's favorite." That was I like the elote, the sweet corn. And she goes, "Your Spanish is so good, Father." And I was like, "Yo puedo, puedo entender más que yo puedo hablar." And she's like, "Ah, see, sí. I can fake, uh, I can fake a Spanish." Like, you know, ability <laughs> for like all of like two, three minutes, and then they figure it out very quickly.
0: It's amazing. Uh, for somebody who has just straight up sucked at language acquisition for the last decade, I just, I just, uh, I hate it. I hate you. It's horrible. See, uh, It's so good, though.
1: Hay una cocina que llama tacos <laughs> arabe. <I>, Conoce. That's great. <laughs> she knew tacos. I still miss tacos arabes. That was. That yeah, she was... said there's a lot of Lebanese people in, in, um in, in Mérida. Mérida. So anyways, if did somebody you, out you, there knows... Did you do the imitation of uh, La Lluvia? I I was getting ready to gear up for What was for the it. name of that place? Ushmal. Ushmal. Ux- <laughs> <laughs> Buen bienvenidos a la tierra. Como los, los dioses es de la lluvia y la
0: tierra. And what was the name of those horrible sandwiches they fed us? Remember they snuck us up on the roof that one night for the party and...
1: Well, they're called tortas. Oh, tortas! But they, but they were like they, they were not exactly the most amazing sandwiches in the world. They were very happy about them. They I think the one guy was pumped. more excited about drinking a two liter of Coke by himself because <laughs> we literally only got potato salad at one meal, like potato salad first, and saltine meal, crackers. Oh man, that was
0: that was ten years ago. So the backstory yeah. behind this, very briefly, was um, global. Father Brian Larkin, myself, Father Jason Wunsch, Father Joe, Joe Grady, Grady, all seminarians end up down in Merida on this totally makeshift kind of fly by the seizure pants And we two guys end up working in a parish. The other three end, three of us ended up in prison, a.k.a. the seminary down there, which was very kind of tightly mm-hmm. run. Ended up being great. Um,
1: but, man, what a wild ride. The guys were great. The, the, the rules were a little... Intense. Yeah. You know, they waited uh, about two and a half weeks to tell me uh, how to turn the water heater on whenever you take a shower, uh, which was the least of my worries because... because right, it was uh, 140 degrees. I know, but in my room, it was cold. Like, that <laughs> was... The, subject. That was the thing that I didn't tell Father John or uh, Father Brian. I know.
0: He had a room with two windows, and I was, like, in a cell, and I was
1: just... Yeah. Father John was in pretty much, like, a clay pot, <laughs> like one of those chimneys. Um, and I was in, like, I had a cross breeze. I mean, it was like, it was actually chilly. I needed, I needed a blanket at some point. I know. So, anyhow. That was
0: a wild This is, month. that,
1: that's the conclusion of the bilingual edition.
0: Well, I got a, uh, funny comment. I wanted to, uh, this is speaking of kind of cultural things. Um, when you hear this song, can you identify where this is from? Three, two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where is it?
1: That's the Tatooine. That's the bar on Tatooine. Unbelievable. Well, I so, mean any Star Wars geek would know that. Well I've been trying to impress the Star Wars
0: geeks in the seminary. But it's on Tatooine. And yeah. it's not Jabba's, right? No. That's a different place. Right. So I'm I'm making this whole point to impress Sam Munson and all these other Star Wars nerds and mm-hmm. I totally they're just looking at me like. Yeah.
1: You tried to say it was Jabba's? I was sitting at Jabba's Palace. Jabba's Palace. here's the thing, though. I mean, they should note that uh, Jabba was on Tatooine because in the remastered version, they added a scene with Han Solo that was cut with Jabba the Hutt, which was totally lame. And it was like thin Jabba, and nobody believes in a thin Jabba. How many times do you think you could hear this song before you start
0: losing your mind, like on repeat? 20. Okay. Well, I listened to it nine times in a row. In a row? Because the lifties at Paradise Basin at the back of Crested Butte Ski Resort were trying to run us out of there. <laughs> so they put this on, and the first time I heard it, I was like, oh, that's funny. What is it? We couldn't place it. I was with with uh, a couple of other people, Phil Bartline, Andrea, and we just couldn't figure it out. And I was like, I think this is the song in my nephew Micah's head on repeat. He's a middle child. Yeah. is <laughs> kind of the world he lives just in. <laughs> continuing to... Yeah, just kind of... Then they play it again. And again... And again and Why again, were they trying to get you out? Because they wanted to close the, the bar and everything. Oh I see, yeah. I've never seen that tactic before to like it's pretty good. Shut down a bar, just play the Cantina band song. Hmm. So I've given up hope of impressing seminarians who are into Star Wars, like our soon to be deacon Sam Munson, shout out, great guy, but he just he just looks like he just goes
1: like this. So, but see the thing try. The it's, thing is Usterman's just as bad. I was, I was into Star Wars. I watched the three Star Wars, and then they came out with three more that were horrible. Right. And they were like, you're not into Star Wars unless you actually watch those other ones too. And I was like, yeah, but they were bad. And then the new ones came out, and they were like, you have to like them, too. And I was like, well, the first one was really good, but the second one was garbage. So they're like, well, the second one was deliberately garbage because they chose a different producer, and then in the third one, they make fun of him. And I'm like, why can't I just stick with the first three? Right. You know? Exactly. Like, do you have to like these others? Right, I know. But that's a, that's a crew hard to get into. I just, you know? just imagine them talking about American Girl Dolls. You know, they're like they're like, Oh no, I like the new American girl dolls, but the old American girl dolls are like the new American girl dolls, except they have different plot lines or whatever, and I'm just like you're a total loser. That whole thing was just a little creepy, wasn't it? Like to have dolls. American girl dolls? Yeah. Made yeah. after yourself. Yes. Right? Isn't that what they did? My sister had one. I think they're yeah, they're kind of voodoo esque. Yeah. Kind of creepy. Exactly. And then you have to buy a special brush to comb their hair. Yeah. I mean what a pain. What you a know? Pain. Why can't you just use a regular brush? Right. And you don't need an American girl that looks like you because you look like Patrick Mahomes. That, according to some, hey, that happened twice yeah. in two days. Two people came up to me and said I look like Patrick Mahomes. Now but you just had the little, the little thing, mm, on it. or like you know, like muscles. I think that's what it was. It's was more the body, is the figure. Yeah, know? I can see a little. I bit. got I got Seth Rogen for the longest time, but to graduate to Patrick Mahomes is very interesting. I told you that story before, right, whenever I was on the L in Chicago, and uh, this lady walks up to me, this, this big black lady cop, and she says, she says, hey, you look like one of the movie stars. And I was like, yeah, Justin Timberlake. She's like, oh, no, you look like that Seth Rogen. Oh, my gosh, you don't look like Justin Timberlake. Are you crazy? I was like, never mind. Never mind, lady. So, well, that's our, that's our intro. That's a pretty good one.
0: Pretty good one. Well let's get to a boring topic. What do you say? Cantina band? I think we should
1: get into a No. Yeah. This thing I can't listen to that song ever again. I think we should get into a one hundred and ninety seventh best topic. One hundred and ninety seventh best topic. Right. Am
0: I going? I'm going. Yeah, you're going. Okay. Yeah, this is uh you know. You can tell when they're researched, when they're not, but uh, this is going to be more of a... 192nd, sorry. Oh, you're looking Mm. at our ratings. We're only 191 behind Father Mike Schmitz. It's not a race. It's not a race, folks. It's not a race. We don't care. But we are losing. (laughs) (laughs) By 191. Podcast. (laughs) I'm so proud. At least we're in the top 200 still, right? True. True. Back when there was only like 30 podcasts that existed, we were in the top 30. That's right. Yeah. Right back back 10 when years it was ago.
1: original. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We're like the original yeah. Star Wars podcast. That's right.
0: That's right. No Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. What I'd like to talk about today is uh, um, moving into um, the question of marriage preparation. It's been a weird time for marriage prep couples to prepare. A lot of couples have had to uh, change their plans. It's been. It's it. It's not been ideal. I'm coming off uh, one of the most beautiful weddings I've been at, which was Tyler Morris and now Catherine Morris, Catherine the Morris. artist, artist formerly known as Catherine Earned, and uh, tr- just an absolutely sacred experience. Yeah. Like, y- y- and I was the main celebrant, but it was like watching them pray. Um. I was like, this is uh, this is what it's supposed to look like. Mm-hmm this is what marriage is supposed to look like. And as priests, we see the whole bit, you know, one of the seminarians asked me today, he said, Jesus, he, he said, um, what is the, what's it like to marry couples that are not faithful, not interested? Is that hard? And I was like, it's hard, not in the sense that you're judging them, but because you've experienced weddings like this, where you know what it could be. Yeah. You know what it could be when, when a wedding is focused not on the couple and, uh, a bit of this kind of mutual self absorption of kind of look at how great their love is and celebrating that, which is fine in itself, but really about something that transcends them, namely that this reflects something of God and gives glory to him um and i so I told him I was like, it's not that I don't like that, sometimes it's difficult, but very, very rarely um is it difficult most of the time it's just it's just you wish it was more elevated, yeah, more of a supernatural experience, more of a mystery for people.
1: Um, and a lot, sometimes, sometimes yeah. you can have all the parts that are there, even for like the Catholic part, but they don't have the 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 love. It's almost like they're marrying each other out of duty, right? You know, yeah. Like they almost look like they're scared, you know, entering into it. And then other times, like as you said, like there's just a lot of intense, you know, kind of Lionel Richie staring into your eyes, <laughs> your eyes. Um, yeah, so... So, anyways, like, you want to have both. I can't, I can't, I can't make you want to marry this person, but I also can't make you want to marry this person in the sight of God. Right. So it's nice to see them both together. It is,
0: and, um, it does happen, and, uh, one of the joys of the last ten years of being a priest has been, um, accompanying a lot of couples, and many of whom start here and, and really deepen and grow in their faith, um... And when they grow in their faith, it's not just kind of like um, an, an enrichment process where it's like, ooh, now you have a, a new skill set to bring to your awesome marriage. It's like, no, it actually changes the way that you love. Hmm. Like, when you, when you encounter God, it changes the way that you relate to this person who you're about to vow yourself and your life to. So it's a, it's a really, it's not just kind of accidental or kind of a side kind of, hey, by the way, it would be really great if you went to mass and tithe and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually, this is going to radically refashion and reform the way that you actually love each other. And it's going it's to be something that's going to be deeper, more sustainable, and, and more profound. So, but again, COVID land, uh, there's not a lot of resources uh, available. And uh, we used to do these retreats um, out here, but we haven't, nobody's done retreats um, in a long while. And so what I wanted to do today was just cover some bases on uh, what uh, marriage is and uh, two things that I have been kind of riffing on and talking with couples, and I'm going to bounce. I'm, I have a couple of, a few couples that I'm working with. They're going to listen to this. They're awesome. I'm really happy with the, the, the few that I'm, I'm um, getting to know and, and walking with. They're getting married this summer. One of whom is Anna Stewart, you know, and Eric Hill, great yep, guy. Yep. Um, they are gonna marry in May, and then a couple other f- couples. Um, anyways, this is kind of contributing towards what would have been a marriage prep talk. Um, and I want to make two points. Uh, the first one is something that I've been thinking about more recently in light of some kind of situation. And then one is just the old marriage talk, the old bourbon talk, we used to call it back in the day. You're going to do that now? No, I'm going to do a mini, mini version. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say. Yeah, that's you know. a full... We've actually done that topic before, but... Um, the bourbon talk? The bourbon talk in modified versions. Yeah. The bourbon talk is called the bourbon talk because uh, one guy, one sucker of our friends who would be on this retreat, um, it used to be me, and then it was you, and then it was Larkin, and... Never no, done it. You never done it? The bourbon talk is... Deliberately. You, you pour a tall bourbon because uh, you're the guy who has to tackle all the issues that nobody wants to hear. You just psh, fire right through him. So we'll kind of come to that in a little bit, but... The first point is one that I, uh, I've been thinking about more and more, teaching ecclesiology. So I teach this class on the Church, and um, I'm just struck constantly by the fact that we are living in a time where we don't understand what the Church is, and we don't understand how the Church relates to Christ, and that creates a very complicated relationship for us in terms of being daily or, or weekly or monthly or practicing Catholics, and especially in a time of clerical scandal— Say to yourself, what is this thing? It looks like an old institution, archaic, outdated, corrupt, run exclusively by celibate men. To which a couple that I was working with recently said to me, "Um, just to be clear, we don't really think you have uh, anything to say to our marriage. And what they meant by that was, we're getting married, you're not married, you're part of this institution, and uh, so we don't expect you to be able to say anything, and, and, and it was said in such a way,
1: it was like, don't, uh, don't try and speak into this. I don't think you can understand the kind of passion that we experience for right. one another. Right, and the
0: guy was not Catholic, and, you know, these things are forgiven, and <laughs> they've since moved on and done their thing. Um, but that, that woke me up, and I was like, that's a very interesting comment, because in one sense, you're right, I have very little to, te- to to tell you about the the kind of practical details of married life. In mm-hmm. fact, I have I have none. I've you know, other than the fact that we spend all day every day hearing the confessions of married people, um, preparing couples, working with with. I mean, our whole life is just working with relationships, ninety percent of mm-hmm. which are married. Mm-hmm. So, it is a funny thing to say. You have nothing to say to this, and uh, and also it's like, well, what what is marriage preparation? And that's why the with this particular couple the the floor just fell out, because it was like, wow. if I have nothing to say, and you're not, you have no desire, no openness, no commitment, let's just call a spade a spade, and just, you yeah. go your way,
1: right. and I'll go my and way. And we'll find you somebody who can actually prepare you that you would actually trust, which is probably a lay couple. Right. Married. Right. Well, that would be a, that'd be a more pastoral approach
0: than what I did. So, um, but the, the point was, <laughs> what does the Church have to say about marriage? And, uh, I think the answer is everything, because the Church is a marriage. The Church is in a marriage. The fundamental reality of the Church is not a sociologically constructed group of people. It's not, it's not, an, it's not an aggregate of Catholics. That's not what the Catholic Church is. The Church is the mystery of, of a nuptial mystery, whereby creation is wedded to God in grace. The Church is, as St. Augustine says, mundus reconciliatus. It's the world reconciled to God. And the fundamental image that we have is twofold, that it's bride and body. And as I tell my guys in ecclesiology, the way we understand the bridal motif of the Church is in Mary, how we understand the bodily motif is in the Eucharist. So right. everything is nuptial, <clears throat> everything is marital, um, And the Church radiates as this mystery, and you see it from Genesis all the way to Revelation. The Church is the mystery um, of God's marriage, of the wedding, so to speak, between creation and the Creator. Mm -hmm. That's a deep mystery. Now, you say to yourself, well, what does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with my life? Well, it's nice to start with kind of like just the basic presupposition. And I don't, know if I, would, I don't know if I would say this if I was 25. I don't think I... But it, it's nice if, if a couple says, I, I don't think I've... You don't hear this very often, but when they say, well, we don't actually know what marriage is. Like, we don't know how to do this, and that's why we're here. Hmm. We want to prepare for something that we don't understand. And uh, to which we would say, yeah, we don't understand it either. I don't understand it. It's a mystery, but it's a mystery that we could we can behold together, and we can look at. Instead of me and you in my office or in a coffee shop, and we're talking about you, and I am trying to kind of draw us upward. It's like, what if we all just turned and looked at this mystery yeah, together, which is the the wedding that God has entered into? Um, and we said, how do we make this look like that? How does it reflect that? Mm-hmm. Right?
1: How is it elevated into that? Because oftentimes marriage is. Just simply, like, how do we better communicate? How do we run finances? How do we, run, how do we do kids? How do we have better sex? Like, I mean, truth be told, as I'm looking at the rankings every once in a while, I will look at some of the marriage podcasts, because I just want to know, like, what are the kinds of things that married people are talking about? And uh, I, don't, I haven't seen a single one of those marriage podcasts, like, referencing the mystery of you know Christ's nuptial love for the, the church, right? Which, if that's the source and foundation, then in some sense we're 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 missing out on on gazing upon that when we're just caught in the minutia of, you know, how do we how do we how do we fight better? You know, how do we reconcile? We're not really. I mean, those are those are
0: important questions, and they the, are. There's a lot of habits and skills that form around it, but it's like we're missing the the most basic question which is if I was to ask any couple that I've worked with over the last decades, like, what is marriage? You know, if we had them all in a room and we were doing a retreat and you just Mm -hmm. pull it up and say, what is marriage? It's tough. It's like, well, you're doing it and you're entering into it and this is the most natural and obvious thing for you to pursue, but you also don't know what it is. And I I don't know what it is. We, yes, it it is a relationship of two people and blah, 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 but we're at a point in our culture... Where and this will tie into the second point in a second here. Um, we're at a point where um, we have to start over. And if you can't, if we can't build from this is what marriage is, and it's a supernatural mystery that God reveals of His inner life that you share in that inner life, and that it's His wedding with creation. If we can't start there, and I know that's not helpful, it's not practical at all. But if we can't start there, if we can't identify that, if we're not, if we don't turn our gaze together towards that then marriage preparation becomes, it, it's reduced to praxis.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Here's best practices. Yes. And uh, there are a lot of good couples who can help with that, and that's really important. But my, I don't know if it's making sense about the kind of looking at each other in marriage prep meetings instead of turning towards God, and that's what I felt happened. And literally it happened because uh, Catherine and uh, Tyler wanted an auto Wedding, mm-hmm. which you don't have to do, but that, that was what they wanted. So I was facing the crucifix. The couples behind me kneeling at the Eucharistic sacrifice. We're all, and that, it was symbolic of the way that they approach the marriage preparation process, mm-hmm. is it's not like, we're here, we have to meet with you, <laughs> we got to jump through these hoops, and hopefully you're kind of cool and kind of chill and kind of authentic, mm-hmm.
1: and, uh, and then we're out of here. But we, we kind of know what we're doing, and we're ready to go. You know. But sometimes I think even the body positioning of, of couples in marriage prep is work it's kind of two on one. We're already a couple, you're one guy. You just kinda tell us a few things, we're gonna ultimately do it our our own way. What you're saying is that all three of you are facing in the same direction. Right. And I think that uh, there are there are multiple postures in marriage prep that I think are really beautiful. Um, one of them is when you make the couple face each other, and you say, I want you to tell this to her, or I want you to, you know, explain this to him. In the focus inventory, I think that's really helpful. Instead of you explaining to the priests why you put an answer down, or to the deacon, or whoever else, say it to your future spouse. In In that regard, like, you're actually communicating yourself to the other um, that allows them to reverence, like, you know, who you are and how you're feeling. But then in the actual event of the marriage, having received everything of who you are, we're all going to turn towards Christ instead of just the two of us are going to gaze into each other's eyes the whole time. Right. The last thing I'd say is uh, when my buddy Trevor got married, he got married in a Protestant church, he's not Catholic, Um, but uh, there were some Catholics at the wedding, and I looked through the program and it said they're going to have communion. And I said to the two Catholics that were there with me, Hey, um, we don't believe in intercommunion, so whenever it happens, like don't go up. And they're like, "So how are we going to know?" And I was like, "I'll just tell you, just like stay seated or whatever." Communion for them was uh, Trevor and his wife. We don't remember her name. Um, staring into each other's eyes while a song played—that was communion. Hmm. And it's like the communion of marriage is not just your love for each other. The communion of marriage is the desire to to be pointed towards the source of all communion which is Christ's death right. and resurrection. So that's what you're ultimately like trying to get them to commune with right and each other. Right. When we're looking at together
0: at in the direction um what we're looking at is the is the crucified god and the church in Mary at the foot. That this is the new Adam and the new Eve, right? So everything in marriage is Christological, which is why following Jesus is not a lifestyle option that you can opt in and out of in a marriage that's Catholic. This doesn't work anymore. Hmm. You, 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 have to, you have to gaze at the crucifix of Jesus and say, do I know him? Do I know what's happening? And how, have I experienced in the church that I am bride, In a way, my soul is espoused to God in in what's happening here. Um, That's a that's a huge mystery, and if you and many people hear that and and doesn't make any sense, but the point of this is like faith is indispensable. Faith in Christ, like living with Him and in Him, is indispensable to Catholic marriage. It's not just kind of like, yeah, it'd be great, you know, the ideals to kind of strive for. When we have kids, we're going to get real serious about you know kind of. Doing this thing, and uh, but right now we just we kind of want to just canonize our love and have a really great day, um, and it's like it's not going to end well. It's just not. That's just not enough. It's, it's not, not enough. sufficient. Yeah. There's no culture that can sustain and kind of carry you anymore. It's
1: not going to. It's not just that. It's not going to end well. It's that. It's not going to begin well. Right. And you actually want them to trend in a direction, and it's not just into deeper. Passionate desire for each other. Right. That's, that certainly is helpful. Um, Passion is good, but passion can run out. And then the question is, what is left when that's gone? Right. Um, What is holding the two of you together? And that's why I think it is beautiful. Sometimes I've seen couples uh, give their marriage vows holding a crucifix together in the midst of their hands. Right. Um, It's kind of a Polish thing, I think. yeah, like it or not, suffering is going to enter in. We don't like to talk about it, but it's like, uh, in the marriage vows, it's like, you know, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. And it's like, what they hear is, for richer, for health, you know, for love. And oftentimes I have to remind couples when they, you know, get difficult news, infertility, cancer, uh, death of a spouse, it's like, this is what you signed up for. right? Like, you actually signed up that I will, I will walk with you in whatever and you fulfilled your vows. So that's really, really beautiful. Uh, Catherine, this wedding that was this weekend,
0: um, she's a great mountaineer. She's climbed many 14ers. Um, but instead of kind of telling a story, kind of ge- gestured at a couple of them, but I, I really wanted to say marriage is a different way of climbing the mountain, but it's the Mount of Calvary, that you're climbing together. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what happens in marriage, it's not so much about kind of how delighted we are in the satisfaction of our affections and just how much we enjoy being together. I have met a lot of couples who are just really great friends. Like they just, they're just very comfortable, at ease, mm-hmm. they enjoy being together. That's all good. But suffering is something that will purify and perfect eros, erotic love, and uh, will lead us to a deeper kind of self-gift. Um. Marriage prep doesn't fix problems, really, but we can, we can point. I, I tell couples, it's like, marriage preparation is really about identifying questions. It's not so much about giving you the answers. We can raise the questions, but this is a very small window. We meet a handful of times. Uh, it has to be, you're gazing towards the mystery of God in Christ and asking yourself, what is this? And what does this have to do with what we're about to encounter? And so that's just the the first point of two. Number one, um, great to begin with, like, we don't know what marriage is, and that's okay. It's a mystery that God reveals in his son and in the church, and if we can start to gaze at that, God will give us the grace to unpack and understand what that means for our particular marriage in the way that we're going to share and participate in that. All right? Mm Mm-hmm. Number one. Point one. Point one. Point two. Another massive point uh, from some rather undeveloped thoughts here, but uh, this is something that we've been talking about for a decade. Um, The Bourbon Talk consists fundamentally of a distinction that we take from a wonderful book called What is Marriage by Robbie George and others, where he basically says there are two opposing understandings of what marriage is. Uh, There's a traditional one, and there's a revisionist one.
1: That's the the what is marriage is the only podcast that Father Brian Larkin has ever been on. Right, that's right. And he said it. I wasn't paying attention, but I was actually checking the levels because uh, he wasn't talking very loud. No, he wasn't. So, anyways, and, I, um, and he revealed his his English roots, I believe. Well, that was a different one. Oh, uh, it was. which you know, that's it could be pseudo pseudo larkin mm-hmm. you know we don't know if that was the real larkin right he does father brian does have a podcast he does are you are you subscribed i have maybe i, I have subscribed maybe. to the lord's podcast um gotta make sure that i the right name mm-hmm. yep our lady of lords gregorian rant gregorian
0: rant oh that's different he no. started no one did he really yeah i think with patrick
1: Oh, seriously? Yeah. That's can. what I thought this one was. I think it's just his homilies. Oh, right. I was wondering when he was ever going to be on with Patrick. There you go. Gregorian rant. I'm not on that. Oh, Gregorian wow. rant. So here's the second point. The, f- the first point is it's okay to say we don't know
0: what marriage is and we're we're venturing into something that is unknown because God is real and <laughs> grace is real. I know. I know. <laughs> I made fun of that title on a podcast and rap goes, that was my idea. And I was like, Ugh. yeah. Yep. Yep. Go so ahead. That's the first point: is it's okay to say we don't know what it is. We need the church. We need Christ through the church to educate us on what marriage is, not just in preparation, but for our entire lives. The second point is to say the dominant culture and understanding of marriage is not is no longer the traditional or Catholic one. So if you if you just watch TV, uh, hang out with people, have a job, live in the world. Uh, you're going to espouse a different kind of understanding of what marriage is. And this is what Robbie George uh, helps makes, make a really good distinction. This is the, kind of the beginning of the Bourbon talk. So, number one, uh, there are two different kinds of marriage, or two visions of marriage, right? Number one, I- the first one is uh, what we call a conjugal understanding. This is what he says in the introduction, very simple. A conjugal view of marriage has, has long informed the law, along with literature, art, philosophy, religion, and social practice. Of our civilization, it is the vision of marriage as a bodily as well as emotional and spiritual bond, distinguished thus by its comprehensiveness, which is like all love, effusive, flowing out into the wide sharing of family life and head to a lifelong fidelity. In marriage so understood, the world rests its hope and finds ultimate renewal. So, the classical hmm. understanding of what marriage is is the conjugal vision of marriage. So, conjugal, coniugium, right, with the bond, literally, right. Yoke. With the yoke. And a bond is formed that's comprehensive. Body and soul are united together. When Anna and Eric, um, or Sarah and Clay, or whoever it is, Addie and um, Chris are together, they're not just doing something with their bodies, they're doing something with, and, and not just something with their emotions, it's the full gift of self. It's comprehensive body and soul, right? But that means that if it's comprehensive, then it can only, it's irrepeatable and it's undivided. You can't divide it, right? Mm. Because of the the totality of the gift of self that's given in the vows. And that is, as George points out, the classical understanding of marriage, which has been the bedrock of civilization since the beginning of time. Second, revisionist view has informed the marriage policy reforms in the last several decades, he says. Um, It is a vision of marriage as, in essence, a loving emotional bond one distinguished by its intensity, a bond that needn't point beyond its partner's uh, infidelity, which is ultimately subject to one's own desire. In marriage, so understood, partners seek emotional fulfillment and remain as long as they find it. Okay? So if the conjugal vision of marriage is one that is a spiritual bond that unites body and soul and it's marked by its comprehensiveness, this, the revisionist understanding, which is the dominant one in our culture, is uh, an emotional bond distinguished by its intensity. So you take the example of a gay couple who uh, love each other really intensely. Uh, the revisionist understanding would say, well, that, that is marriage. Mm-hmm. Why would you not, How could you not give them marriage? Sure. Versus the, the conjugal view of marriage would say, uh, two men or two women are not capable of entering into a conjugal relationship because they cannot give of themselves and enter into the totality of self because of the complementary of sexes, which is required for full unity, bodily, not just spiritual or emotional, and also one that that is fruitful. That's the reason why. Right. Okay. And so I think that they, um, yeah, so George is just so clear about this. He just kind of lays it out very, very distinctively. You either understand marriage to be a bond that is marked by comprehensiveness, body and soul, completely, and is indivisible, and irrepeatable, and unbreakable, or it is this revisionist understanding, which is it's an emotional uh, uh,
1: connection that's marked by intensity. But why can't a gay couple have an indivisible, unbreakable bond? Because it's impossible to put these
0: two bodies together, and to create children, which is the fruit of, and the purpose of marriage, yeah. procreation. And unity. And unity
1: so i mean it's it's one of those things that's like this is a personal reality, and we're 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 saying like the persons aren't just emotions, the persons aren't just passions, the persons aren't just um sexual gratification, it is the the ability to be joined, to be conjugated uh and that conjugation leads to this indivisible permanence. Right. But just the mere marital, just the mere act, sexual act doesn't mean that you are married. That act within marriage conveys a different reality. That's right. what we're trying to look at. Exactly. So, exactly. I think I, that's I think that's, it's important because sometimes people are very careful to be like well, they do love each other. It's like, well, I believe that they do have a care for each other. I don't, I'm not denying that. But uh, what is it that we are denying? It's the capacity to be able to enter into that permanent union. Right. And many people are just, they, they, won't, they won't allow for that, which is why we end up with that revisionist definition of marriage. Right. To allow for, you know, uh, two men, two women, I don't know, one man, one woman. And then if you don't like her... Another man, another right. woman, or another woman, another woman. And the, uh, um, the reason why people outside of the
0: church get so frustrated at us is because we, as Catholics, many of us espouse a revisionist understanding of marriage. And the contraception culture in Catholics is, is very dominant, and what that says is procreation doesn't matter, we're in control, we decide how many kids we have. Well, guess what that looks like? That looks like you're saying the exact same thing, so you're going to tell the gay couple um you you can't get married, but we can get married and totally eliminate this this whole sector we We collapse any witness of what a conjugal marriage is when we embrace the culture of contraception, mm-hmm. which we've done wholesale like mm-hmm. in, in the in the church as Catholics we just have to acknowledge but that prior, like prior
1: prior to the cult prior to the the culture of contraception, I think we embraced the culture of divorce right where we said. You don't have to be together if you don't want to. Um, and there are legitimate reasons for separation. The Church has always said that you can separate for reasons um, that are, uh, you know, dangerous to yourself or to the the children or whatever, but to just say, you can set this other person aside, you know, and divorce them and then find somebody else, that's where we really have a problem.
0: Yeah. And I think the reason I, I wanted to express this to um, couples who are preparing for marriage is just to to acknowledge the fact that the revisionist vision, understanding of marriage is absolutely predominant in our culture, mm. and that you are soaking it in, right? Uh, no matter what you're watching, Grey's Anatomy, Modern Family, I don't even know, like, um, it, it is in, it's in the is air. Us. This is us. It's in the air. It's in the water. Everything. Like... Um, and if you don't really start to ask those questions of what is a conjugal vision of marriage, then you're going to do all the Catholic things, and you're going to enter into and It's going to be a nice Catholic ceremony, and we'll say some nice things about you, but you're not going to witness to that first point, which is it'll never reconnect back to the mystery, which is at the heart of your marriage, which is the marriage of God and creation, which is Christ in the Church. And that's, that's the invitation, I'm thinking about this particularly because after uh, I've been reading Anna Karenina by Tolstoy forever, Mm. um, but I'm almost finished. And and I tell you what, he is an amazing writer. Um, Larkin once described Anna Karenina as uh, um, desperate Russian housewives, which I thought was kind of funny Mm -hmm. um, and understandable. There's a bit of times where I'm like, why am I reading this? But Anna Karenina is a woman who is living both in a conjugal vision of marriage and a revisionist vision of marriage. Right, and I don't know. I never read it. She tries. She's a married woman who falls in love with a guy, Vronsky. Is his name with a V, not G, Vronsky. And uh, so she's torn between. And divorce is not really legal. And there's all these kind of com- the complexity. But the, it completely rips her apart. Um, and it's a it's a tragic story hmm. of. And I haven't got to the end of it, so don't tell me the end. But. Um, I haven't read it. You haven't read it, okay? But it's are safe. It just shows how um, how radically destructive it is if if we try and go back and forth between these two things. Um, Vronsky doesn't marry her, and she lives in perpetual fear that he's going to abandon her because he's charming and good looking, and he's obviously probably talking to these other women, and she becomes so obsessed um, because there's no there's nothing permanent. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you read a character like this and you study her, pro, her psychological profile, you realize how beautiful the permanence of marriage is, yeah. which is why God hates divorce, right? which is scriptural. And it's not that he, doesn't, that he doesn't hate divorced people, but the concept of divorce, the, the breaking down of what is meant to be this bond that is—what uh, happened on Saturday was a bond that no one can take apart, no one can, can render— it's sealed, they're sealed together for life. And, it's the, and, and the unity of marriage is so profound for that reason. It's something that we don't even understand. And likewise, with, with procreation, uh, when we start to contracept or we just kind of re- revise everything, take control, medically kind of, you know, manipulate our bodies into doing things that they're, they're not supposed to, um, we lose the, the grandeur and the magnificence of it. Now, does that mean we're not responsible and thoughtful about um, the, the number, of number of
1: children? Spacing.
0: Absolutely, that's essential. Right. But just that sheer grasping for power, um, which happens in a contraceptive mentality, is so tragic. And I, I think that the, the whole gay marriage uh, debate has been framed around this revisionist understanding of marriage, which, if, as, so long as in the Church we buy into it, we're never going to be able to clearly delineate what this actually is. And worst of all, we're never going to point back to Christ, which is the whole point of the whole thing.
1: Right. And I think that it it it's interesting because when you talk to certain people, it's like they have a right to be married. And um, they were like, why would the church not allow these persons to experience happiness um, that is only found in marriage? And I'm like, so Christ wasn't married. So was he denying an essential aspect of his person by living a celibate existence? They're like, yeah, but he was different. It's like, yeah, but that's the life that we all aspire to. Like, that's the life that all of us are, are called to live in some, in some form. And for some people, it's just like, that's just too hard. You know, that's just, that's just not going to happen. Like, well, then we've given up on the possibility of, of, uh, an evangelical life. Yeah. And, um, I think the Church actually says it is possible, yeah, and so anyways, I think it's important to to bring up again um I would say that as as time goes on we we imbibe certain half truths, and it's like, oh, that does sound kind of right though I mean that that that's what marriage would be, but oftentimes we're we're formulating it because we also see the intrinsic necessity of a conjugal marriage. And we're also saying it's also important to have emotion and passion and whatever. But then eventually when people get rid of the conjugal aspect of marriage and just have the emotion, it's like, wait a second, I was saying both. Um, So I think it's important to go back to it and just say, what are we about?
0: Absolutely. Uh, Marriage preparation is a time of... uh, of real growth, uh, it's a very intensive. It's, there's a lot of stress, but the temptation, and this is the final point I'll make, is to just obsess over uh, the details that don't matter. And they, there's an industry that has been created it's to wedding. make you obsessive yeah. and to take your money. Wedding planning. And if you go through and you've got the perfect centerpieces and all this different stuff, but you've, you don't know what the word conjugal means in terms of a conjugal definition of marriage, then we failed you. Right. And we need to do a better job of that. Are you going to struggle with contraception? Are you going to struggle with sleeping together? Are you going to struggle with chat? Of course. Are we here in the struggle? Absolutely. Right? That, there's no deal breakers. It's just, but that openness, that desire to to move beyond oneself and back into the mystery of God, that's, a lot can, that can happen. And uh, so I hope this is not just kind of hammering the old, kind of the old five things that everybody hates talking about, but... Um, but really an invitation to uh, a new depth and a new kind of mystery. All right?
1: There you go. Worth it. Shout out. Can we just go full circle for a second? Because yes. that's what I was saying. Oh. Guess who was reading Anna Karenina? Joe Grady in Merida. In Merida. He was, oh, he was. He was sitting in a hammock reading uh, Anna Karenina. So of course he was. Anyways. Well, that's... Uh, that's that, full circle. That's
0: full circle. It's full circle.
1: You know what else is full circle? Jabba Hut. Jabba the Hutt. Exactly. Hey, we're gonna get more we're gonna sued by George Lucas. Hey get man, the- just let it happen. Come on. Okay. All right. Shout so, outs. Yep. Wrap it up here. We got a wow. I feel really I'm bad. I up had up. no idea that they had done so many so many episodes. Speaking of Star Wars, Gregorian rant. I would like
0: to give a podcast shout out to Donna and Tom Walker of Crested Butte, Mount Crested Butte, Colorado. Uh, Donna heard that as a child, my brother did all the fires and so she made me and put a lot of pressure on me to start a fire outside, uh, and gave me one match. This was two weeks ago and, uh, I did it in two, but I found out an interesting fact that, that, uh, trip to the, to the walkers, this is after a couple of margaritas, they have a son named Luke. Do you know what Luke's middle name is? Luke Sky Walker. Walker. No way they named him luke skywalker the backstory is very briefly (laughs) tom tom walker who's absolutely hysterical um the genius who created these deadly margaritas every time she was pregnant in the 80s they went to see a star wars movie in the theater and he was like hey wouldn't it be funny puts his arm around her wouldn't it be funny if we had a boy if we needed and she goes no absolutely not they have a girl second time second star wars is out they're back in the theater wouldn't it be funny no have a girl third time she's like fine whatever and they have Luke Skywalker Luke Skywalker (laughs) has graduated he has a doctorate so every time he graduates they read his name wow Dr. Luke Skywalker the crowd goes crazy yeah it's amazing amazing so walkers thanks for a great time what is he a doctor of I don't know that's a good question
1: wow what would Luke Skywalker be a doctor of that is the question that is an important Facebook question I would like to hear some answers to that so thanks to the walkers for a great time and Luke someday we'll meet um. Yeah, I mean, uh, to all the couples I'm doing marriage prep for right now, but um, many of them don't listen. And then they say, oh, we do listen. I can't believe you didn't say our names. And it's like, sorry. So uh, I met with a couple tonight. Uh, she's from Sweden. Um, he's from uh, Colorado, I think. They met in Australia. Wow. Both foreign exchange students and uh, fell in love... Have been married for eighteen years and uh, are now. She's in RCIA. Oh, I she's coming say, in, coming to church. Okay. So um, she, uh, they were asking like, how small can we make this? Like, do we have to do the full? You know, whatever. And I was immediately brought back to the Brzecki wedding. Yeah, you know, where it's just like you can go as small as yeah. two dudes, uh, <laughs> two two priests. We don't even need two of them. Uh, couple and then two other people. That's right. That so was a great need- time. So. Well, and to the to and Brian, to the couples I'm working with too. You guys are
0: awesome, and I'm, I'm grateful for our time together. Yeah, and Ellen, and Ellen, and Keith. So that's that's, the, that's the couple from Sweden.
1: The All right, couple folks. From
0: Sweden Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com.
1: Thanks for listening, Doctor Luke Skywalker. <laughs> Keep the faith. That's pretty cool. See you next week. Later's.